So our topic today again, oh, a couple more things I need to announce. There is a suggestion box out in the hallway here, and I noticed there are pamphlets that talk about membership and whatnot, so you could pick one of those up if you're not a member. Our topic today with Tad Mitsui is, Can Religious Institutions Survive the Sexual Scandals of the Clergy? So I will invite people to come up with their questions. The microphone is here this time. And uh, remember to ask a question of Tad, not just to have a long, long preamble that amounts more to your own thesis. And uh, please state your name as, before you ask your question. And then uh, I encourage you to go back to your seat and listen to the answer from your chair. And if you really need to add an appendage, you can run back up, but you'll be more comfortable sitting down. So please welcome back Tad Mitsui. Hi, Tad. <coughs> My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Tad, thanks for your very good information about the topic you have today. Uh, my question would be, at what point does clergy not, can they undress and become an ordinary person at some point in their life and uh, just go and have a beer with the boys? Or is that not the way it goes? I hope everybody is prepared to, uh, figuratively speaking, take the clothes off and have beer with you, Knud. Uh, but a uh, lot of clergy, unfortunately, are trained to assume power, uh, claiming that they have some exclusive knowledge that you don't have. Therefore, I am superior to you. That should be abolished. That kind of attitude should be condemned. Uh, therefore, I totally agree with you, Knud. I think I want to go to have a beer with you. <laughs> Douglas Mitchell. Tad, uh, I'm interested in your use of the word bureaucra bureaucrat and bureaucracy as a retired uh, horse doctor and continuing Presbyterian, much to your annoyance, I'm sure. Um, I just, uh, I always thought that any of us who are members of a church of God were servants of God and not bureaucrats. Could you address that issue? I don't like difficult questions like that. <laughs> that. I use the word bureaucracy as a shorthand word. Maybe I should have used the word structures. Uh, each church has different system of governance. Uh, like your church, uh, Douglas, United Church has a presbytery to supervise clergy, property, etc., etc., almost day-to-day -day business of the church in certain areas in, in one jurisdiction. And on top of that, in the United Church, has a structure called conference, which is in Presbyterian Church called Synod. Uh, in Anglican and Catholic Church, it, it, these synods are called dioceses. 
but uh, I just wanted to use a shorthand word like bureaucracy to indicate that I joined uh, such administrative structure. So if that satisfies you, it's okay. I'm just one of the people who were elected and hired with salary to work for that uh, particular structure. Anybody who is a member of the church can apply. And uh, after rigorous interviews and examination, you get hired and fired. Uh, So in that sense, it's quite democratic. And I also, to my surprise, discover that Despite the popular image of Catholic and Anglican Church, they are quite democratic too. And nowadays, Anglican Church elect bishops. Uh, anyway, that's beside the point. So I hope you forgive me for using a shorthand word. Uh, thank you for your presentation. My name is Mickey Wilson. Um, I, I certainly would acknowledge your position that the power structure of the church. Um, creates uh, an air of authority, and certainly I believe the church embeds that in its people and doesn't allow much deviation from that. Um, and consequently, it has a role in abuse. But I, when you gave us two options of either um, is the structure rotten or the people rotten, a few of the people rotten, I, I wonder if we need to look somewhere in between and find that the structure needs to be changed and what role you think allowing people to express healthy sexuality might have in eliminating uh, sexual abuses and crimes within the church, whether that be physically, um, relationally, or emotionally. Thank you. It's a complicated question. Um, No, I'm still a member of a church. I believe that it has a mission which is noble and important. Uh, you may d- disagree with me, and uh, that's your choice. However, there is a sickness introduced, I'm talking about Christian church, introduced in fourth century to give them inflated view of themselves, which was wrong, which was wrong. Uh, in many places in the Bible, if you don't mind me quoting the Bible, uh, Importance of being in minority is mentioned everywhere. Truly convinced, genuine Christians cannot be majority. We always remain minority, conscience. And that concept is lost in the inflated view, or according to Brunner, uh, glorious misunderstanding of Christendom. We are empire. We gotta expand. We have to gain power by money and number of people we can command. That is wrong. But the idea of calling people together to serve God and people is a noble one. And I would like to go back to the original idea, even though it could be only 10 people in Lesbridge. This is what is mentioned in the Old Testament. God said, have you found ten just people? No. Have you found five people? No. Have you found one person? No. 
that's how Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. This is, of course, a parable. I don't believe that that exactly happened. Some Christian may disagree with me, but that's how I believe, so you can't change me. But the whole idea of being minority, selected minority to serve people, is a noble one. And I would like to see the church going back to that original idea. I, I have a microphone so I can butt in when I want to. Uh, Tad, you need to answer Mickey's question about... Sorry. Is there a way to encourage healthy sexuality? Would that help with this issue? Am I yes. Right? I celebrate healthy, beautiful sexual relationship. So long as that relationship is entered into by two equal partners. One exercising power over the other is not equal beautiful relationship. Relationship always has to be between equal partners. We have to remember that. And uh, in that sense, uh, traditional marriage has been unhealthy from time to time. I go out and earn money, therefore you stay home and cook. Already, it does not mention it. The power relationship is established. That is wrong. Beautiful relationship is entered into always between two equal partners. Yes, it's beautiful. And I encourage it. Does that answer the question? Thank you, Todd. My name is David Liner. I want to preface my question by commenting that I am an Irish Canadian who is not particularly proud of the Roman Catholic Church. However, uh, my question uh, does not relate to that. You have piqued my attention and perhaps that of others in regards to the second case where you told us that the case uh, was basically uh, aborted because of a lie by the young pastor. Are you in a position to tell us what the lie was? When the secretary of the presbytery asked him why he did that, he said, you pay us so little, we needed money, I have a mortgage, so this photographer is planning art exhibit, and he offered me 4,000 bucks. So he said he did it for art exhibition. That was a lie. He did it only for money. There was no such thing as art exhibition of photographs. And uh, it was discovered when the, the, uh, the discovery process called the photographer to explain to the court what was the circumstance of producing such a photograph. And that's where his lie was exposed and he was charged for perjury. Hi, Tad. Uh, Ian McKenna. Um, seems that the most vulnerable people, however, are children, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in churches or uh, hockey or, or, or whatever. 
so what, my question is, uh, and perhaps I should know this already, <clears throat> but I don't go to church often enough, is what are, what are churches doing or should be doing to uh, help the most vulnerable? It doesn't seem to me that uh, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, I just wonder if uh, in your own experience or just your own thought about what might be done, uh, how we might tackle that. I'm sorry, Ian. I don't know how to answer that because I haven't put uh, too much thought into it. Uh, part of the reasons why second case was uh, uh, became an issue in the Montreal Presbytery was an effect of such a photograph on the children. Uh, we asked him, what would happen if a child found that magazine and said, this is Reverend so-and-so. Uh, so Presbytery was basically worried about the, the damage that would cause such a photograph to, on children. But aside from that, I'm sorry, Ian, I, I, can you give any suggestions about this particular aspect? No, the, I never thought about that particular age group, no. Aside from the fact that there were, in my, uh, in Montreal jurisdiction, there were clergy charged for child molesting, yes. Uh, but uh, he was charged and found guilty and DSL'd, dis discontinued service list. Tad, uh, Terry Shellington, uh, thank you for your presentation and for uh, leading us into this um, awkward subject. Um, I'd like to go back and rephrase Mickey Wilson's question, at least what I conceive his question was or what I think it should have been. <laughs> um, but most of us in this, many of us in this room are part of a religious institution called a congregation or a church. And uh, many of the, the violations of um, uh, proper conduct happen in a pastoral context. And you know as well as I do that there are many opportunities in the pastoral context. You, uh, um, clergy can walk into anyone's, any single person's house in the middle of the afternoon and nobody uh, wonders about it. And um, people come to your office and they talk about private things and emotional things and you're all and alone. And you close the door because... And you close the door moment. and you pull the curtains down. Um, so there's a lot of trust there. Um, and all of us, many of us in this room belong to that kind of religious institution. What advice would you give? Uh, and, and, and probably most in this room trust their pastor or priest or clergy and probably have reason to. Uh, but uh, what advice would you give people who are part of a congregation about accountability and safeguards and, um, and uh, that kind of thing that, doesn't, that, that keeps clergy accountable as well as trustworthy and trusted. So I think that's, that's what I heard uh, Mickey uh, pointing towards. But Thank you. I have two aspects to my answer. One is a major policy issue. I think that all the churches must develop a policy paper and a detailed protocol in terms of how to conduct pastoral counseling, how to do, do the pastoral visit, etc., etc. And uh, that is very important. And I, for that, a church can learn a great deal from other professions, uh, the law professions, 
educational professions like universities, and I mentioned the insurance company. They have better protocol than the church does. We don't, they, they know what they're doing. And uh, even then, they, they are sort of uh, guilty bodies appearing from time to time. Still, that policy has to be in place. And uh, I'm, I can speak only for United Church. United Church tried to develop the protocol paper. Uh, there's a paper on sexual harassment, uh, if you remember, Terry, uh, which was developed about 10 years ago. Uh, but it's not known. People are embarrassed to look at those documents. So the case in Ontario I mentioned was sexual harassment. They didn't follow that protocol. And the judge pointed out to the, the church lawyers, and you wrote uh, those rules, and you didn't follow it. This is against natural justice. This is how it came up. So the pro- policy paper has to be developed, has to be known to a lot of people, and the congregation should know about this. But often, Canadians are funny people. They don't want to talk about sex, even though they like it. <laughs> and uh, often, they don't want to touch those things. That's a problem. Secondly, there are minor things that you can do. Uh, when I uh, run into all these uh, uh, problems dealing with it day to day, I change my office furniture in the conference office. I abolished the couch. Instead, I brought in a table and the chairs. And uh, when a female person comes in for consultation, Either you leave the door open or you have somebody else in the room. Those minor steps are very helpful because you can make it in the routine. Uh, so otherwise, it's still the work in progress. My name is Erna Topliff, and I really want to thank you. I'm a therapist who works with sexual abuse. I want to thank you for making the point that it's not really about sexuality. It is about power uh, when somebody is sexually abused. Uh, My question is whether uh, you're aware and, and can share with us if somebody does cross those moral boundaries within the United Church, what a restorative process is, whether there is a certain amount of counseling, uh, accountability that's set in place before they would ever be reinstated? I must say, we have to learn a lot from people like you. All that we, we do at the moment is pay for the counseling. United Church is willing to pay for the counseling, but we really don't have a detailed protocol to deal with the victims. And uh, uh, I think we have to learn. Thank you for pointing out to us. My name is Mary O'Rose, and I am reasonably faithful, and I can understand the fallibility of the individual. We are all, we all have the possibility of being fallen individuals. However, the difficulty that my faith has is in understanding the cover-up that is in place in terms of, of the hierarchy of religion. My question is, am I normal? No, you're not normal. 
I'm sorry. You are noble. <laughs> Pardon me. That's superbotan. That is a major issue. We are all worried about how we look towards outside. The, the, the recent uh, disclosure of uh, Vatican's instruction to the Irish bishops not to report to the police is a typical example of it. We still, a lot of church people still live in the grandeur of our former glorious image. And we, they are trying so hard to protect it. Uh, my experience is very limited, so uh, this may not be a good example, but the reason why first case failed, uh, if you remember, uh, the judge, judge uh, the, uh, made a judgment against the church because we did not follow our own protocol dealing with the respondent minister who harassed a woman sexually. We made a mistake because we wanted to deal with it as soon as possible before the press picked it up. That is a primary concern of the church officials. We have to defend ourselves by dealing with it as soon as possible and skip few steps. And the judge said, that's not fair. That's not fair. Natural justice means fairness. So that was the, the motive behind that mistake that the church made to protect the front. Nice front, glorious front that we used to have. I think that is a mistake. I think we should be honest to ourselves to say we are humans. We make mistakes. There are bad apples amongst us. Yes, we have to be honest to ourselves. Thank you. Tad, you uh, talked with to Terry about one part of a protocol, and I, I think there's probably three parts to this kind of protocol, and I think the therapist brought up the third, which is what to do after things go wrong. But uh, as a scout leader and as a volunteer at church camp, we at length learned the third part of the protocol, which is what to do if something is reported. And uh, in talking with lots of other adults, I realized that most people do not know what to do when they witness or are told about any kind of abuse, be it uh, physical or, or sexual. And I wondered, what do we as a church, what do we as a society need to do to make everyone, and perhaps especially the victims, know what to do when abuse occurs? This is one area that the church has to develop. I don't think we have clear-cut understanding of what to do. I don't think so. Only thing we are encouraged to do in the bureaucracy, sorry, Douglas, is encourage victims to report to the police. Well, actually, can I... The United Church protocol at church camp was that... Uh, well, and I can't remember it specifically, and so it's something that needs to be reconfirmed all the time, I suppose. But um, if a child tells you, or if you witness, you are to go to such a person, and it goes up the chain so that 
my job isn't to go directly to the police. My job is to go to somebody in our organization. And at school, I learned that once I report it to a teacher, as, as a parent, and this did occur to me, I witnessed something, I reported it to a teacher who knew the protocol, and they knew who to talk to, which was the principal, I think, and then the principal was the one who reported it to police and social services. So um, there is, a, there is a, a policy that exists in our church, but why don't we all know it? That's my question. I don't know. It's an, <laughs> it's an embarrassing subject, and no, nobody wants to talk about it all that much. It's hidden. And uh, I, I think it's a lack of openness is the cause of it. There was someone at the mic. Oh, so I'll continue what, with what I think Mickey was trying to ask because he still didn't look satisfied with Terry's rendition or my first. <laughs> how do we in the church, how do you as a leader of the church... I'm retired. <laughs> How do you, as a retired leader of the church, encourage present leaders of the church to uh, talk about, teach, encourage healthy sexuality? Am I close, Mickey? Maybe you better come ask it well, one more time. Would you repeat that again? I mean, I was... Too fearful or too Mickey's excited. going to restate it because none of us can say it like he can. Okay. I think I was talking about uh, part of the problem is power. Um, but that's, I said that it's embedded in the leaders and they're expected to be that. In the parish, people expect their leaders to be exemplary. To be anything else is not okay. So we don't allow them to fail. I'm also a retired clergy person. So I know um, you're not allowed to fail. Um, so in some denominations, it's criminal to get a divorce. So um, if you're not happy in your marriage, you end up you know, in an adulterous relationship that gets exposed. It's a crime in the church. It's a scandal. Um, likewise, s sexual crimes against others. Um, I wonder about the church's position to not allow healthy sexual expression and how that plays into this unfolding in the church over and over and over again. Is that more clear? I think so. And I think I know the answer. I think it's not just the Christian church's problem. I think it's a Canadian problem. Canadians are terribly inhibited people. And uh, whenever they hear the word sex, they get embarrassed. And uh, I'm getting a bad reputation of bringing up sexual things all the time. And last time I stood here, I spoke about the penis. And uh, when I was noticing uncircumcised penis in the art history class, I asked the professor, why was Jesus and David not circumcised? They were Jews. All the Jews were circumcised after eight days after birth. And the uh, professor said, I don't know. Nobody raised that question. And she asked the students, have you noticed that? And they all said, no, that's a lie. I mean, every time nude picture of David was shown on the big screen, I am sure at least 60% of male and female look at the penis. But they say, no, 
Why did they say no? I think it's a Canadians have a typical uh, I, puritanical or, or embarrassment about sex and uh, body parts. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, there are many, many good literature produced by the church about sex and sexual education, etc., etc. How many people are using it? Not very many, to my knowledge. I think that sort of a mental condition is the problem. As we're closing in to 1.30, this will be our last question. Thank you. Uh, Ted, I'm Henry Heinen. My question is, what role in today's context should the various seminaries or training institutions of clergy play? I think that's a very important question. They are doing a lot less than they should be doing. Uh, to begin with, they don't talk about I went to a seminary myself. I never had any talk about sex. They, uh, they told me to avoid prophet of uh, Jeremiah because there was much, too much sex in Jeremiah. And uh, a professor actually said, it's like uh, going to a striptease show, uh, show, so don't pay too much attention to it. That's a problem. That is the problem. And I, I think you're quite right. I think it's getting better, but not enough. There should be a lot more emphasis on healthy sexual relationship taught in the seminary and how to deal with it. Yes, you're completely right. Uh, in closing, I'm going to try to answer Mickey's question. Am I still not getting it? No, no. No, I just have the answer. The answer is that ministers have to realize for themselves that they are humans and they are fallible and they have to show their humanity. And this minister right here before me constantly shows his humanity. His personality comes through all the time. He and I draw nude figures on Friday afternoons together. He talks about penises in public. So if we had more ministers who showed their humanity and their personality to, to their parishioners, I think we'd be okay. I, I think we would be a much better world if, uh, if doctors, lawyers, uh, people in authority, teachers, didn't feel they had to come across as the, all of the authority who knows all. And I thank you very much, Tad, for bringing this important subject, and thank you all for being here and listening. Thank you.